When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Just before we begin this episode, I just want to take a moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for the podcast, which is Steroplast Healthcare Limited. Steroplast Healthcare Limited, setting the standards across the seven sectors. If you don't already know of them, get onto their website, www.steroplast.co.uk, to look at some of the great products that they do. We've got the boxing wraps, the Sterotape Zinc Oxide Tape, We've also got the Sterotape Premium and the Sterotape K. Now, we've got World Fight using this tape. We've got local fighters, including Charlie Schofield, Ben Sheedy, Jimmy Kelly, Callum Cook. They're all using this tape at the moment, and Steroplast are getting around to all the boxing gyms. You will be able to purchase these items from steroplast.co.uk get over to that website have a look because the stereotype and the stink oxide tape aren't the only things that they actually do they do provide equipment for emergency rooms for hospitals other sports they produce items for vets medical surgeries gps first aid defibrillators things of that nature so they're not just all about the stereotype and the boxing wraps get yourself over there and have a look www.steroplast.co.uk Welcome to episode number 32 of Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Another busy week this week for boxing as we've seen over the weekend. Uh, but this week we've got a, another guest on because we haven't got our usual co-host which is Cahill Jennings. He's jet setting all the way over to America to San Francisco and to California. So he's busy over there but I've decided to get a, a special guest on this week. Back. 
So welcome again, Simon, man. It's good to have you back. Hello. How are you? Yeah, really good, really good. Uh, as, as always, busy, busy. Busy with boxing. There's so much always going on, as you know. How are you doing? How's it? What's life been treating you like at the BBC? Very well, very well. Honoured to be back on uh, back on this podcast. I felt like I didn't deserve it first time around. Now I've been given a little shot. I feel a little bit like Audley Harrison's career. Just keep, keep getting opportunities I don't deserve. <laughs> uh, well, let's get let's get straight into it. It's a, it's a big week for boxing last weekend. Just gone. Just want to let the listeners know what's coming up on today's show. So we've got all the fights from over the weekend, all the major fights that we want to discuss on this week's show. And then we've got this week in boxing history a couple of interesting ones to go through this week we've also got what's coming up this weekend which is things like the ultimate boxer uh, there's a couple of well notable fights coming up which i'm sure you're all looking forward to and then we've got the boxing news and gossip section this week because we've got no call there's no irish boxing updates this week that's usually his segment i've tried to get in touch with a few people this week actually funnily enough you know when you're trying to get in touch with people you know how it is you, you, you try and get in touch with them and it's like yeah we'll do, we'll do an interview for you and then sometimes you don't hear back and really busy so unfortunately guys i've got nobody on this week but not to worry we've got simon on that's all we need <laughs> i'll try and do the job of, of a few people <laughs> yeah well let's get into it then let's let's look at what's happened last weekend uh, you know the, the there's two big fights over the weekend and and i think the first one i want to speak about which is probably i don't want to say it overshadowed the other big fight of the weekend but it was probably the one that people talked about more which was at the return of amir khan against phil Greco at weekend talk about gone in 40 seconds you know that was um that was a bit ridiculous to be honest with that was that was not what I was expecting this weekend for for, for Amica, and I was expecting Phil Greco to go a few rounds, and you know what? He trained for 11 weeks for this fight, Phil Greco. He trained with him for 11 weeks. He got Fernando Vargas in his corner. He come over and he gets blown away in 40 seconds. Wow, I wasn't expecting that, to be honest. But Amir Khan... No, yeah, Amir Khan wasn't getting paid overtime, was he? <laughs> no, he looked as sharp as ever. He looked like he'd not lost a step. At all in two no, years. I, was... I genuinely had tougher bus truck trials, hasn't he, in the last twelve months? Very impressive from Khan. Wiped out Phil Greco. He did come with a sort of a bit of a pedigree, and he think he's. Uh, I think Khan sort of announced himself back now and got plenty of options going forward. I thought it was very interesting when uh, Kel Brook got in the ring straight away afterwards, didn't he? Yeah. And I I thought Khan handled it very well. I thought he made he made Kel Brook look a bit desperate, and I think Khan knows that he's the bigger name in terms of having a, a breakout, broader appeal outside of boxing. And uh, yeah, I think things are looking very rosy for Amir Khan at the moment. After what has been a tough few years, I think it's fair to say. Well, it has for him. It has, hasn't it? You know, obviously now he's had two years out of the ring. You know, he's, he's kind of, he's won a lot of people over, I think, with the uh, the Amir Celebrity gig that he had. And for, for, for me... It's, it's it's a situation where now he's, he's he's shown that he's still got it. I think the difficulty that he had with Kell Brook in the ring is that Kell Brook's been the one that's been chasing this fight for a while now, and it kind of felt like the tables had turned a little bit. He kind of made Amir Khan kind of made it out like he was the one that's now chasing the fight after seemingly ducking the fight for a couple of years, so to speak. So it was really interesting, and I think it pissed a lot of people off because so, <coughs> social media was going berserk. You know, people on social media was absolutely slating Amir Khan for for things like that but you can't deny the guy has got speed speed that is is ridiculous and 
it, it, it's going to give anybody a difficult night, I think. And I think it'd get, give Kyle Brook a difficult night should that fight happen. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think the thing with Khan is he obviously sprung onto the scene. It's 2004, the Athens Olympics he went to, wasn't he? He was about yeah. 18 years old, got that silver medal. And then his career was, he had that loss against Breeders Prescott. But generally, his career was on an upward trajectory. And it looked when he was about sort of 23, 24, he must be having those fights. Was it against Katsidis? He had the, the absolute war against... Um, Madonna. Who did he come Man, yeah, and you know that was that's a superb win, great name to have on your record. And at the time, that looked like he was on the upward trajectory. Now, in hindsight, that's probably about as good as it got for Khan. And you know, I think sometimes different different people, different athletes peak at different times in their career. And I think a little bit like someone like Daniel Sturridge in football, the last football World Cup, you would have thought, oh, by now he'd be the best player in the world. Now yeah. you look back and think, actually, that was that was as good as his as his career got was those years playing up front with Suarez. And that's as good as Khan's career. That's as good a fighter as he's going to be was those Mandana fights. And that was when he was at his best. Maybe we didn't appreciate him enough at the time. Since then, he's sort of, he's got, you know, he's, he's fought a few, a few times in this country, a few times in America, had that bad knockout loss against uh, Canelo. And, and the issue is, you know, his, his punch, his speed and his power, no one's ever really doubted that. And that was fully in show on Saturday night. The issue is his chin and, you know, what, what does he do when someone throws a punch back? And that's that's where he struggled in recent times. But I think the thing is, he's a big name. He's the sort of... My mum's heard of Amir Khan. And that's what, that's what I always think is a test. He's He transcends the sport. He's bigger than... No, he's not bigger than boxing, but he's got a breakout appeal. Everyone heard of him. He, I think going in the jungle is a masterstroke in terms of building his PR. And that means that he's, you know, people are going to watch him. They sold out. Uh, the Echo Arena, didn't he? He's not yeah. even from Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. He's finding a guy no finding a guy no one's ever heard of and he managed to sell out the Echo Arena. I'm not sure who else in British boxing could have done that. I think the only other person at the moment would be Anthony Joshua, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and, that, that... And, and in terms of you know, you know, name ask the average person to name a British boxer. That's sort of the level Amir Khan's at in terms of being a household name. No, yeah, for sure he is. He's that's the thing. He's he's done the right thing by going into the jungle. It's definitely a very good PR stunt. It, like I said, it gave a bit of a side of him that nobody had seen before and. Whilst he's done things in the past that he's not proud of, he's done some things that he has proud of, and he's won titles in in two different ways, world titles that is. And now he comes uh, off the back of a two year layoff after that vicious loss to Canelo, and now he comes in, and blows Phil Greco away in forty seconds. Now looks for the Brook fight. He's got a lot of opportunities. You know, people like you said earlier, Simon. People are saying the Khan is the bigger name in this. He has been on the bigger stage on more occasions. And he has won on the bigger stage. The difficulty is with Kel Brook is he has been on the big stage, but when he got to the big stage, he, you know, he lost to Golovkin, which nobody was expecting a win on that one because it was a two-weight jump. And then he fought Errol Spence Jr., which the crunch test for him, and he lost that one again. And, you know, by no fault of his own, his, his eye socket went. There's nothing he could do about that. So he's lost that fight. So essentially, when you look at the, the, the difference between them, yeah, okay, Amir Khan's lost a couple of fights, like the Danny Garcia knockout and the Canelo knockout, but he has beat a lot of other good fighters like you said Maidana in 2010 sort of peak of his career when he beat Maidana in 2014 he beat Devin Alexander which was a masterful performance which was probably the last great performance I would have said Amir Khan's had in, in terms of a, a, you know, a full 12 round fight you can't really judge it fully on this 40 second blowout of Phil Greco because he's gone in there he's kind of bum rushed him a little bit and Phil Greco didn't know what hit him and it probably didn't hurt the shots that he was taking it's probably just that fast that he didn't see it coming and he's just been bum rushed and that's that's the 
the problem with, with, with you know, with Amir Khan. He can bum rush somebody. When he gets hit back, like you said earlier, that's when the problems arise. That's when you know he's going to struggle. He went he went like that with Danny Garcia. He sort of bum rushed Danny Garcia in that fight. The same with Canelo. He did the same in them two fights. But eventually, them two got through with two big shots, which put him on his backside and out cold. And that was sort of the end of Amir Khan. What is the word? What is the phrase bum? I've never heard the phrase bum rush. <laughs> Have you <before>. never heard? <laughs> bum rush. <laughs> it, could be, it could be interpreted as something completely different. I could be saying the completely wrong word. But uh, what I mean, what I'm elaborating on there is the fact that he's sort of, he, he's not giving his opponent a chance to even do anything whatsoever. You know, he's going to, he's going to make me like wonder now if I've said the right words. <laughs> There's probably another answer. It's an interesting reflection. On you. That, they, that's that's your go-to. That's the first thing that comes in your head. Well, I'll put it this way: right? I've, I, we're recording the podcast. I've had to Google it. Bomb rush, urban dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet that comes up with some results, doesn't it? Urban dictionary. <laughs> Is that how you explain it to your wife when she comes? Oh, I was I was researching I was researching the boxing love. Yeah, that's why I was typing that into Google. Uh, I'll have to make a mental note to delete. Uh, she's delete not going to believe that, mate. <laughs> right, listen though. To re- <laughs> <laughs> to bum, bum rush is to run full speed into somebody and body slam them into a brick wall chain link fence or something similar so I think you kind of get the metaphor for it it's not a metaphor for anything yeah. else <laughs> I'll be dropping it into conversation from now on, mate. Now, now, now I've got that. Just ensure, just, just ensure it's in the right places, of course. <laughs> oh, job interviews, yeah, in <laughs> yeah. court, anything, yeah. That's... Yeah, but yeah, bum rush. So he, he basically, he, he didn't give him an opportunity, and he blew him away literally in forty seconds, and that was that. And like I said, you can't look too much into it. I mean, Kelbrook's got some great timing. Could he, could he time a really, really good right hand and finish Khan if he was to fight between them? It's just. Is it going to happen? It should do now. I think they're both at the, the point in the career where I think they're in the both in the early thirties now, and this is the fight which would sell out. It probably would sell out Wembley. I think. I think if you put a good undercard with it, you're going to sell out Wembley. And I think that's definitely what Eddie Hearn was thinking when he signed Amir Khan and they did business together. What do you think about that? Ninety thousand people at Wembley. I think that'd be a good one. Well, it'd be a pay per view event. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I'd say it's um, a, a bigger fight than Hey Bellew in terms of, you know, mass appeal. I think it'd definitely be pay-per-view. I don't think it'll happen for a while yet. I think Khan, I think Khan knows he's the bigger name. You see, I, I thought Kelbrook came across as desperate when Khan was saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll only do it at a certain weight division. And Kelbrook was like, oh, well, if it comes to it, he basically said if it if it came to it, he'd, he'd boil himself down and go back down to uh, what was it one four seven? Yeah, well, whatever yeah. the weight division that that Khan wants. Uh, I a lot of it reminds me of uh, back in the mid two thousands when it was Ricky Atten and Junior Witters, and you know Witters was a legitimate world champion. People would have been very interested to see that fight, but. Hatton knew that it was a risky fight to take and he didn't need it. And I think I think Hatton I think Khan is in the same position that Hatton was in a way that. He, he's got other options. I think he can go and fight any of the Americans. He can fight Danny Garcia again. He's a big name. He sells a lot of tickets. I think he's got options. And I think deep down, Khan knows that he can always go back to the Kel Brook fight. I think Brook needs the the Khan fight. Because although, in I'd say amongst boxing fans, over the last three or four years, you'd say Kel Brook's been much more impressive than Amir Khan. You know, he was a world title. for. He went away to America and beat Sean Porter. Yeah. Ever since then, he was a world champion. You know, he's not. He didn't really put a foot wrong until the until the Golovkin fight, which was an impossible fight for him to win. And he actually put, a, you know, he put up a good performance in that Golovkin fight as well, much better than I was expecting. And amongst boxing fans, I think they would probably you would probably make Brook favourite in their recent history. But I think you know, Khan has a much bigger audience. He, he appeals to these non to non boxing fans. He brings other people in. 
and that's what generates money. And, and I, I just think he'll wait for as long as he'll, he'll exhaust all these other possibilities, and he'll know that he can always come back to Kell Brook. So I'd expect him to possibly go down an American route, car, and you know that's what he's done in the past. It'd be good to see him in with a, a more legitimate test next time out. He can't be in maybe keep busy what's he gonna be what do you think will happen with the Amir Khan coach situation because he has been with Virgil Hunter hasn't he but that's they did they weren't together for this fight because of is Virgil Hunter unwell yeah he he went in with the new guy didn't he do you think that that might become a more long-term arrangement I think so, yeah. I think it's probably going to be um, the, the long-term situation with, with McCain. He needs someone that's going to give him stability in his corner. If Virgil Hunter's ill, th- th- there's not a lot he can do about that. So he has to, he has to stick with somebody he feels. And Joe Goosen's a, a, you know, a world-renowned trainer. He's well-known in, in the game. So he's got someone good in his corner. The thing is, at this stage of Amir Khan's career, he doesn't really need anybody to teach him anything new because he's been with some of the best in the business. Virgil Hunter, Freddie Roach, you can't really argue with any more people in his corner than them. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, who else could you go out there really and get now at this stage of his career? I don't think is anybody who could teach him anything new. I think it's just somebody who needs to be there to be able to devise a game plan for him in them big fights. And and he's got the right man at the moment for Joe Goosen. He, 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 that's all he needs, really. That is all he needs at this moment in his career. He's gone through all these massive fights. He's got much more experience on the bigger stage winning all these fights over in America coming back over here he doesn't need anybody to teach him anything new it's as simple as that he's got somebody who needs to help him devise a game plan to beat whichever opponent he goes in against but let's just wait and see well, what I mean six months ago he was training with uh, Jamie from EastEnders wasn't he uh, Jamie from Hollyoaks so yeah. he's still able to pull out that performance so, yeah, he <laughs> yeah. Must have something going for him. <laughs> well, let's move on then. That's uh, enough about Khan and Brooke and the Khan Greco fight and move on to the other big fight of the weekend, which was Cal Frampton on Nonito Donaire over in Belfast, which uh, was on Box Nation and BT Sport. Now, this was uh, a fight that I expected to go the way it went, to be honest with you. It was a 12-round unanimous decision victory for Cal Frampton uh, in what was... I expected to be a nip and tuck fight against a one formidable opponent in Nanito Donaire. He, he was like the next Manny Pacquiao. He was the, the Manny Pacquiao of the lower weights. You know, Manny Pacquiao had moved up through the weights, and Nanito Donaire was like the new version of Manny Pacquiao coming through. And over the past couple of years, he was quite a formidable opponent. And I said it on last week's episode that I think he once was in the top 10 or possibly top 5 pound for pound best fighters in the world at one point. And then he picked up a couple of losses, and he sort of, this seemed like a fight where, it was his last chance really to sort of prove himself still on the world <laughs> stage before he can sort of say, sort of say well there's not really a lot much more for me to do now uh, Frampton picked up a really good victory after his uh, after his loss to Leo Santa Cruz in the second fight He's he wants to announce himself as the top dog in that division uh, and again he looked really good on Saturday night and I'm personally really pleased that he, he got the victory because now it leads him on to potential fights with Oscar Valdez potential fight with the winner of Selby and Warrington coming up in a few weeks really 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 good fight for, for, for Frampton and he, he really shown again that boxing is about levels and he, he's at a level now where he can go in with absolutely anybody in that division uh, and potentially beat him on, on on his day. Yeah, I thought Frampton was, was very impressive. I think he's probably one of the, pound for pound, probably the best British boxer we've got at the minute. I think he's a real superstar and I think you know from a local point of view as well, I thought it was a, a good win for Jamie Moore, the coach, You know, because that was their second fight together. The first one was a bit of a scrappy win and Obviously, he's been with the McGuigans for so long. And, you know, Donaire was a dangerous opponent to go in with. And if 
if it hadn't gone out, hadn't worked out for Frampton or it's just been a close one, then I think people would have been looking at Jamie Moore and been like, oh, is he good enough to coach Carl Frampton? Will he be able to go back to the heights that he fought when he you know, was tripping trained by the McGuigans and was beating Leo Santa Cruz? But I think it was a really impressive uh, performance. I think Denaire, you know, came to win and Frampton was just way too good for him. And I think all roads lead to Frampton now. He's a massive star in Northern Ireland. You know, they're talking about Windsor Park. They're going to have the next fight there. They'll be able to sell that out. They're going to gen- generate big money. And I think they'll be able to name their opponent. I think they'll be able to put enough money on the table. They'll be able to have whichever opponent they they want. If they go down Vargas, maybe even go for a, a trilogy against Leo Santa Cruz. You never know. And I, personally, I'd love to see the winner of Selby Warrington. But I, I fancy Frampton to beat them all. I think Frampton's the real deal. And I think at the moment, he's going to he's just entering that real gem of his career where he's going to be at his best. I think there's going to be some real big fights over the next couple of years for uh, for Carl Frampton and and hopefully under Jamie Moore's stewardship he'll uh, he'll come good and I think I think it's a, a real good moment for for Carl Frampton. Yeah, it definitely was, and he just goes to show that you know even though he's changed his trainer and we've got you know local guy in Jamie Moore, well known Jamie Moore, there was a lot of doubts in that relationship a lot of doubts there was a lot of people talking you know, why, why is he changing at this stage of his career you know is Jamie Moore the right man for him I think he's proven he has I think again it's like I just said with Amir Khan earlier Frampton's at the stage of his career where there's not a lot more you can show him other than refining what he's already got and I think that's what Jamie Moore has done he's come in and he's refined what Frampton's already got uh, and sort of moulded him uh, into a little bit more of a smarter fighter which we've seen on Saturday night and that's now leading into big fights I think the fight with Oscar Valdez is the one that sort of gets me excited more than any of them because Oscar Valdez as we've seen against Scott Quigg a few weeks back he just looks the real deal. He looks like another guy in that division uh, as a man to beat. And I think I'd love to see the Windsor Park Valdez Frampton fight. That that would be a really good one. Not to say a Selby Frampton fight wouldn't be good or a Warrington Frampton fight wouldn't be good because they'd be all equally good fights. But as you just said there, Simon, I think Frampton at the moment, between him and Oscar Valdez are probably the two. Uh, and obviously Leo Santa Cruz, of course, them three in that division are the, are, the, are the ones where you want to see them in the fights between one another. I think Frampton could have a rubber match with Leo Santa Cruz. I think that's inevitable to happen at some point with them having one victory over one another each I'd love to see a third fight between them two you know the ultimate decider essentially that'd be a really good one to see but no Frampton really good performance on Saturday night I'm really looking forward to seeing what the next few months hold and where sort of we look to go in there for the future. But it was a really difficult weekend this weekend for boxing because you had so many fights on two separate channels. And I was talking about it a lot last week that it's sort of a really annoying, frustrating situation where you're kind of channel hopping constantly to get the big fights on there. One of the other fights on the matchroom bill, which was on Sky Sports, which I knew was going to be a cracking fight, and it did live up to the hype with Sean Master Dodd and Tommy Coyle. That was a fight where both fighters were saying before it, don't blink because you ain't going to want to miss this one. And you know what? It lasted longer than what I thought it would, but it was a hell of, <laughs> it was a hell of a fight. It was a hell of a fight. It really was. And, you know, I, I had this conversation with Cahill last week and we both went for the opposite man. I went for Mashadod, he went for Tommy Coyle. When he listens to this episode, he'll be like, yep. Yeah, I knew it, I knew he'd win, and he said last week that Coyle had the bigger fight experience, and looking at back on that fight now, after watching it on Saturday night, he, he was right, to be fair. You look at Tommy Coyle's record and the fighters he'd been in with, against the the, the, the experience that Sean Mashey Dodd had had, and I think there was a little bit more experience in Tommy Coyle's favour, and it kind of proven it, that he, 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 you know, again, he's another one who's under Jamie Moore, who's kind of had a bit of a career resurgence under Jamie Moore, so... 
it, it's kind of sort of becoming a little bit of a pattern here. You know, Jamie Moore's got this really good stable of fighters uh, and he's starting to sort of refine them and remould them. And we've seen it again there. Tommy Coyle picking up the Commonwealth title against Masha Dodd on Saturday night. Good fight. Simon, what do you make of it? Oh, it was a brilliant fight. Probably the, the fight of the night on that card. And yeah, really impressive by Tommy Coyle. I think it was the best performance I've seen from him, I'd say. And Masha Dodd, it always comes across like sort of one of the nice guys of boxing, doesn't he? And yeah. obviously he was in front of the fans in Liverpool and at the end he brought his I think it was his daughter came into the ring and it was all it was all nice to see. But yeah, I thought Coyle was very impressive and you know, a good victory against a, a game opponent, you know, and Masha Dodd's really acquitted himself well in the last couple of years. Again, you know, I remember those Cardinal fights and, you know, he just looked good against everyone. And Tommy Coyle really dismantled him. I thought he was very impressive. I must say, I think that is Tommy Coyle's level. And, you know, I think the obvious fight now is for him to fight Lewis Ritson. And I think Ritson would be, would beat him quite comfortably. And when Coyle stepped up in the past, and, you know, he had that fight against Luke Campbell a few years ago, didn't he? And, yeah. You know, Campbell was just, was just too good for him. And I think sort of, Commonwealth domestic Commonwealth level is where Tommy Coyle's at, and I think Ritson will will be able to blow him away. But yeah, very impressive from Tom, Tommy Coyle, and uh, yeah, it was a brilliant fight. And, and yeah, I, I just like the way they seem to get on at the end. It was uh, it was just it was a good advert for boxing. Yeah, no, it was. It was really good, good sportsmanship at the end, like you say. Good fight overall, probably like you say, the best fight on that card. And I, to be honest with you. I knew that was going to be the case. I knew this fight would be the one that would be the the entertaining one. So I was I was really you know happy to be watching it. Sat there uh, on a on a nine inch tablet in, in a caravan in Blackpool. I was really happy to be watching it. <laughs> it was <laughs> it, wherever I go, I have to watch it. So I was watching it uh, in Blackpool on Saturday night. Uh, they didn't even have it on in the pub or in, in in the mash and barrel over in Haven in Carlingham. I was gutted, but I had the tablet. <laughs> I had the tablet with me, so I was happy. So it was a yeah good fight. Good fight. Really enjoyed it. Well, bum rush back to the caravan didn't you <laughs> yeah that's a bum rush back from the club to the caravan to get uh, get there in time to watch it all but I managed to catch the majority of the fights over the weekend there's a couple of other fights that I wanted to mention that were really good that I can't go without mentioning uh, was Luke Keeler beating Conrad Cummins over in Belfast on the Frampton and Donair undercard really really good performance from Luke big shout out to him he's a friend of the show uh, and a friend of a lot of the guys over in Ireland there so I was really pleased to see that he picked up that victory uh, and and Tyrone McKenna beat Anthony Upton, which some people were saying on social media it was a, a bit of a wide scorecard. I don't know about that. I think Tyrone McKenna pretty much won the fight in the second half of it. So a good win for Tyrone McKenna, another friend of the show there. Uh, going back over to the matchroom bill there, Simon. Tasha Jonas, his first pro title win. What did you make of that? It was a tough one, that, weren't it? Yeah, it was a tough opponent. I think she did uh, She did well. I was very impressed by, uh, by Tasha Jonas to sort of come through. And I like the way that... You know, she seems to be looking to sort of follow her own path. I think early on, when she turned pro, people looked like it looked like they were, they'd almost signed her so they could set up a decent opponent for Katie Taylor. But I think you know, at the end, Joe Gallagher was saying that we're going to follow our own path. We're going to try and get a world title. You know, they're not, they're happy to kick the Katie Taylor fight into the long grass, and I like that from Natasha Jonas. I think she looked very impressive so far in a in a pro in a pro fights and. Because of the you know the lack of depth in in women's boxing, I think she's had about six fights now. But you know, such as it is in women's boxing, you're going to get progressed pretty quickly. She's got a belt now. She's you know, I, I think it could be a good 2018 for Natasha Jonas, and I'd like to see her in in with a, in a world title fight in the next 
you know, 12 to 18 months, really. I think it's quite probable that that's going to happen, to be honest with you. The fact that you've just said it there about the depth of the women division. I mean, we're going to be talking about Katie Taylor a little bit later on and, and, and sort of how far it, she is into her career and where she's at at the moment. And it's sort of, it's the same situation with Tasha Jonas. But I was really pleased to see her in, an, in with an opponent that was giving her some difficulty in that fight. She had to change a game plan up a couple of times to be able to eventually get through and get that stoppage. And it was really good to see. And, and that's what I think a lot of people wanted to see. They don't just want to see someone go in there uh, and, and sort of blow somebody out of the water. Somebody who was probably not fit to be in the ring with somebody of Tasha Jonas's calibre. But yeah, you found an opponent that was was really good and really durable uh, and, and got a few really good shots off on Tasha herself as well. It was one uppercut that she uh, the opponent threw on Tasha Jonas and you thought, you kind of winced and you thought, oh, here we go. You know, is this going to be the moment we get to see what she's made of? Because when nobody can lay a glove on you, you, you don't really know what this person's made of. And we've talked about Amir Khan and, and the chin and the problems he's had. As soon as somebody lays a glove on him, you know, he falls over. Uh, but Tasha Jonas, you know, she took a really good uppercut and a few shots. Really impressed with her. Picked up a first international title. Uh, I think it was like the WBA international uh, lightweight title. It kind of leads her on nicely, really. You know, it kind of puts her in a potential line up in the future for Katie Taylor but they are trying to forge their own path and I think you know we could eventually see some sort of unification fight between them in the future and I think that's kind of what Joe Gallagher is saying is they're going to forge their own path and when the time's right and the money's right of course that's when they'll go for it yeah I, uh, and yeah I completely agree with Joe Gallagher I think uh, he's right to sort of you know they're not just there to to put another name on Katie Taylor's record, are they? They're clearly there to to build build a, a career for Tasha Jonas, and I think it, it all looks very positive at the moment. Yeah, no, it does. Well, it was a it was a pretty stacked card overall. Uh, we seen Anthony Fowler pick up another win. Scott Fitzgerald picked up another win. Connor Ben picked up another win. Sam Eggington at his new weight picked up a win, and then also we seen Tom Farrell back in the ring on a matchroom show. So it was quite a, a stacked card in Liverpool and a stat card over in Belfast uh, one of the fights that we haven't touched on yet and the reason I've not touched on it and I've left it till the last is because it was such a boring fight it was uh, Zalani Tete versus Omar Navarez it was a complete snooze fest for 12 rounds it looked like a sparring session oh I hated it it was shocking it was absolutely shocking it felt like a sparring session that was the low, the low point of the weekend, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I wasn't expecting... that was chief support as well, wasn't it? It was, you know, you know, I wasn't expecting it to be like that. We talk, I talked about this last week on the show, we call Navarez, well-seasoned, well-known fighter, you're expecting more. Tete just, he just played with him for 12 rounds, toyed with him, and he kind of... It kind of drew life out of the crowd for that fight until obviously the main fight. It was just like it sucked the air out of the room kind of fight. It wasn't a great one to watch, but it was a good performance for Tete. He just he did what he needed to do to pick up the win. He used all his advantages and, and, and picked up the win. And now he kind of we wait to see what happens with a potential World Boxing Super Series tournament, and we're expecting that to sort of be announced in the next couple of months. So when that gets announced, that's when we're going to really start to see hopefully the best of Salani Tete and and. and the other bantamweights in the division it'd be really good to see that but I didn't really want to touch on it too much Simon because it was one of them fights where how much can you talk about that other than the fact that it was a glorified sparring session well I think we're all just glad it was over wasn't it and you know I'm happy to move on <laughs> yeah well I, I move on I'm feeling glum I'm just well. remembering it well, let's move over to America and look at the fights from over there. Let's just bum rush on to the next topic. <laughs> I'm not going to live this one down, am I? The bum rush comment. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, well, let's go on to America and let's look at the fights over there. So before we go on to the main headline event in America and some of the uh, the interesting comments that came out after that one, uh, we'll look at the other fights that was there over in America. And we got Javonta Davis, who's looking phenomenal at the moment, and he beat uh, Jesus Kula in round three uh, with three knockdowns. J- Javonta Davis is just looking phenomenal. Uh, he is a tank. They call him the tank. He is a tank. That guy... He just dismantles his opponent systematically, and and now he's picked up another victory. It's now looking like you know there's a potential that he's going to fight the winner of Lenares and Lomachenko, which people are taking for granted in that one. And it's going to be Lomachenko. But Giovanni Davis, how much have you seen of him? Do you think he's a, a a good opponent for Lomachenko or Lenares? Do you think he could possibly beat either of them? Oh, well, I mean, he's he's a rising star, isn't he? He doesn't come across as a nice guy, <laughs> but you know he's clearly brilliant in the ring. He's you know he's working with Mayweather, isn't he? He looks impressive. I think he'll probably end up moving up through the weight divisions, and it'll be interesting to see how his career plays out in the long term. I, I would, I think his, his biggest problem, I and mean, this may well be a bit of a trend as we talk about the American fights over the weekend. But I think the biggest issue with Javonta Davis is Javonta Davis, and you know, is he going to stay disciplined? Is he going to stay focused on his boxing, or will his ego overtake him? And it'd be very interesting to see how how things play out over the coming years. But yeah, I, I missed the fight of the weekend, but everything we've seen from him so far has been impressive. Apart from, uh, do you remember those shorts he wore on the undercard of McGregor Mayweather? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he had, I do. like those soft furry. But other than that, very impressive fighter. Yeah, no, he is. He looks like a very impressive fighter. And I'd just like to touch on what you were saying there. The problem is with a fighter like that is is himself. He's his own worst enemy. And he will be his own worst enemy if he continues down that path. And he's been mentioned on this podcast a few times as he's a class fighter in the ring. But out of the ring, he just seems like a bit of a, a bit of a knob, to be honest with you. And, and he's kind of like, you want to see the guy do well, but on the other side, he, he kind of, a part of you feels like, I just want to see this guy get beat at the same time. But I suppose that's why you want him at the end of the day people said a lot about that about Mayweather over the years you know you either love the guy or you hate the guy either way you were going to tune in to watch the fight either way so it's kind of it's kind oh, of yeah, a, even if you want him to even if you want him to lose you'll pay to watch it won't you so it's the same effect it's exactly the same effect well other fights on on that bill over in America were Jamel Charlo beating Hugo Centino Jr in round number two Charlo uh, wins the WBC interim middleweight title in this fight which uh, it was a it was a really really good performance from from the Charlo brother. You know, one of the Charlo brothers. They just seem to be beasts to the pair of them. These these guys. You know, we got Jim. You've got Jamel Charlo in the middleweight division, and you've got his brother. You know, in the light middleweight or super welterweight division, and and they're both sort of bossing. You know, they're really you know the boss in the divisions. They're getting the names out there big time, and they're going to be guys that are really going to be the ones to sort of at the forefront of the middleweight division going forward because. You know, it's not going to be long before we see Charlo being linked with Triple G and and Danny Jacobs, who fights this weekend, and Billy Joe Saunders. Even I think he was stated as fighting all three of them. He'd like to fight all three of them names that I've just mentioned there. So he he doesn't really care. He's just kind of. He backs everything up that he says as well. That's the thing with him, you know. He doesn't talk too much trash, but when he does, he goes in there and backs it up. Uh, so the Charlos, Simon, how much again? How much have you seen of yeah. these guys? Well, I watched the uh, so I saw the knockout at the weekend. I, very, I mean, it just seems like every level he reaches at the moment, he's just blasting through, isn't it? And you know, eventually, he's going to come up against some of the biggest names in in world boxing and. It'd be fantastic to see it, you know, when they all get in the same ring together, and it, it, it's really bubbling up nicely, isn't it? 
It is it is a really, really, you know, bubbling division at the moment, the winner weight division. And I'm really looking forward to talking about the fight later on in the episode uh, with Danny Jacobs' his fight this coming weekend. Now, I want to move on and talk about the sort of the, the headlining one over the weekend in the USA. And I, I don't I have not heard your thoughts on this particular gentleman that we're going to be speaking about next, but I'm sure there's going to be some interesting comments to come. So Adrian Broner and Jesse Vargas battled to a draw over the weekend. Now, I think what was more interesting than anything, it was the post fight interview between them. That was absolute comedy gold. Absolute gold that. You know, the, <laughs> I think I think it was some. I think the comments from Broner was something like about uh, I beat you more than Martin Luther King got beat with a stick or something of that nature. I think it was, and I was just like, this guy, he just he's got no boundaries. He doesn't care at all what he says. He, he doesn't have no no boundaries whatsoever. What do you make of Adrian Broner, Simon? I'm really I'm really interested to see what you think of him. Uh, oh, I, I can't stand him. I, I mean, I, I love. <laughs> seen him lose uh, and luckily that's happened quite a few times over the last few years he was a guy who was he was just so much on the rise he was going to be the next Mayweather at one point a few yeah. years ago wasn't he and yeah yeah the last couple of years you know the, the wheels have come off all you ever hear about is stuff that's going on outside the ring he's clearly just a bit of a dickhead isn't he from start to finish and you know the, the <laughs> I, I just can't abide him at all but yeah they drew didn't they and it's one of them you, you're always talking about what happened you very rarely these days talking about what actually happened in the ring with the or in, during the fight with adrian broner and he'll, he'll you know that the bandwagon will carry on he's still a big name he'll he his ego doesn't seem to be deflated in any way and people are going to be very interested to see him so I remember a few years ago he was getting linked with a fight with Ricky Burns, wasn't he? But yeah. I don't know what will happen going forward. Obviously, there'll be clamour for the rematch. I think Vargas was happy to take the rematch in, in the ring at the, at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it makes sense to do it, to be honest. It, obviously, there was no clear winner in it. People thought... I think, I think most people thought Broner won, but then obviously, I think a lot of the hate for Broner, because of the way he acts, kind of leads you to, to want... Jesse Vargas to have won that fight, you know. Sometimes you kind of see it as a, as a bias for you because you're kind of thinking, well, I can't stand this guy. I don't want to see him win. Yeah, Vargas won that fight, but I think when I kind of watch it back and you know I see the fight again, I, I do kind of feel Broner might have kind of edged that one a little bit. I mean, people might slaughter me when they hear me talking about it. And might think, no, you're absolutely wrong. But that's just kind of how I saw it. Taking taking away the fact that he made some idiotic yet funny comments in the post fight interview. It was kind of a situation where you feel like if he wouldn't have said any of this stuff and just kind of been humble about the situation, maybe he could have won over some fans and won over the public and won over the audiences around the world. But again, he's just he's just made himself more, look more of a dickhead than he has before. But people can't help but watch it again. Like you say, it's, unfortunately, they're not talking about the fight. They're talking about what happened after the fight. So you're just going to have to see whether that fight gets made again. But he's... he's He's going to get to the point, Brown away. He's going to start running out of options, and he seems to be involved in all sorts of stuff outside of the ring. You know, I, I was reading today something about uh, someone had fired a shot at him or something, or you know, some gang member, or he's been involved with gang members, or he's been dissing gang members, or whatever it is. He's he's, he's he seems to be pissing people off, and you know what? He's got well, yeah. I, ultimately, I think he he doesn't have enough talent to back up uh, the way he conducts himself, does he? I mean, I, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, in this country, we had the the, the Coyle Dodd fight, and we had the Frampton Denaire fight, and the, you know they were all shaking hands afterwards and and loving each other. And over in America, they had Javante Davis and, uh, and Adrian Broner out again. So it's a uh, it's an interesting interesting juxtaposition. But I, th- I think you know Broner isn't as good as 
as he thinks he is, and I'm not sure if we'll ever be he'll ever be as good as he uh, as he wants to be. And he's just a he's just a poor man, Floyd Mayweather, I think. Yeah, well, I wouldn't even say that, to be honest with you. I don't even think I call him a poor man's fly away with her. I think he's just a guy who's got potential, who's never going to achieve it because he's he's a bit of an idiot. But enough about Adrian Broner. Let's um, let's finish up on the sort of weekend's action there uh, and move on to the segment of the show, which is Boxing History. And uh, last week we changed it to This Week in Boxing History. I've done the same again for this week's episode. So I'll go through them one by one, Simon. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the ones that are quite notable. The first one is the 24th of April, 1961, the birth of Roger Mayweather, Floyd's trainer for the majority of his professional career. Uh, we've seen Roger, we've seen what he was like, we've seen how good of a padman he actually is. Uh, not really much I want to say about Roger, you know, in terms of, of uh, him as a as a professional, but other, I just wanted to sort of highlight the fact that it is his birthday on the 24th of April, which is tomorrow. So what does that make him? Is that 57 that makes him this year? Yeah, 57. Floyd, we giving him a birthday card. Floyd, uh, well, I don't know. I, 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 have they fell out? I don't even know if they fell out, these two. No, I can never keep up with... Uh, I, I, I always think it'd be a fascinating documentary, just the Mayweathers. Just <laughs> a fly on the wall. Yeah. But like the, uh, the Osbournes a few years ago on MTV. Yeah, the boxing equivalent of the Osbournes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if he's fell out with Roger or, or what. I don't know what the situation is there. But yeah, Roger Mayweather born 24th of April, 1961. Also... On the 24th of April in 2004, Vitaly Klitschko knocks out Corey Sanders to win the vacant WPC heavyweight title. And it's an interesting fight because if you look back in history for this one, Vitaly avenged the the loss that Vladimir suffered to Corey Sanders. So it was a back-to-back fight. It was... Corey Sanders went in and upset the apple cart and beat Vladimir Klitschko and won the world heavyweight title. And then he goes on in his next fight and fights the other Ukrainian giant in Vitaly. But Vitaly, I think, was the one that a lot of people always felt was the better of the two brothers, goes in and knocks out Corey Sanders. So that was a really sort of interesting tale. And I do remember these fights. I actually do remember them because it was only 14 years ago. I do remember this period of time because I remember him then, after he beat Corey Sanders, he goes in and fights Danny Williams in what was uh, I never understood how Danny Williams got that shot of that title <laughs> no that, that was random I think it was yeah, Danny Williams would just pop, pop up in these fights wouldn't he I think it was because he beat Tyson weren't it I think when I think back to it yeah. at the top of my head he beat he beat Tyson when Tyson was obviously way over the hill and I think the win against Tyson just because he beat a, a very old and, and past his prime Tyson kind of automatically warranted him that shot at Vitaly but you know, the rest is history. Well, I mean, really. in a way, it sort of reflects on the problem the Klitschko's had, which was, you know, they'll probably be the two most underrated heavyweight world champions because they, there was a lack of opponents. There was just this vacuum of, of dross that they ended up fighting against because there, there was no real opponents for them to test themselves and to really build a legacy. You need to have, if you want to be Muhammad Ali, you need to have Joe Frazier, don't you? And, yeah. you know, that's the that was the issue for the Klitschko's was they were... They were so far out ahead of everybody else that they were left, you know, taking fights against people like Danny Williams and Chisora. And, you know, Chisora put up a good performance. Probably Chisora's best ever performance was that loss against Vitaly Klitschko. Yeah. But, you know, they're not greats, are they? They're not great names to have on your when you look back at the end of your career. 
No, they're not like the legendary names, are they? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, when yeah, when they came up against legends, they lost against Lennox Lewis, didn't they? Yeah, well, this is it, yeah. Tali in that fight with Lennox Lewis, which was a cracking fight the, the previous year. Uh, but another good one for you, Simon. The next one on the list, and now this was one, it feels like years have passed me by really quickly because when I looked and I was looking through the list, the 25th of April 2009 was the night that Carl Froch knocked out Jermaine Taylor in the final seconds of the fight to retain his WBC title after being behind on the scorecards. Remember that one? Yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? Like, I mean, it didn't get enough coverage at the time. That was back in the days when Carl Froch was really sort of the, the guy living in Joe Calzaghe's shadow and no one was really paying him outside of real boxing fans he wasn't getting half the attention he deserves he was just fighting on random channels but yeah that was an incredible was that in, it was in that super six tournament wasn't it no uh yeah you might be right oh. i was was it was he right i can't remember now he fought he fought jean pascal i think the fight before and he beat pascal in a cracking fight which was on itv um and then he fight he goes over to america and fights jermaine taylor and I, he was behind on the cards in this fight i remember watching it yeah and, and i remember thinking yeah he's done he, you know he's done this is it it's kind of carl carl's gonna be laughing on the other side of his face and then all of a sudden he just unloaded with a few shots that got through and he managed to do it and i, I didn't look it up but i think it was something ridiculous like six seconds or something left in the round yeah, it was crazy wasn't it yeah so it, it was a really good one that came up on this week when i looked at it and i thought wow i remember that and I, that kind of really i think that was one of the fights that, that sort of transcended him from from that point onwards because 2009 kazagi had retired after beating joe uh, jones jr in 2008 so this was really where cal uh, cal Fox really started to come of his own and transcend himself and then from then on the re- again the rest is history the fights with kessler and you know the fights with groves and, and, and it was just kind of it was amazing to, to to look back on that and remember, you know, that he was he was quite lucky because he, if he wouldn't have got that shot off, we would have could have been talking a completely different, you know, career path for him. You could it could have been fights could have been different. It could might not have been in the Super Six. Or, you know, there could have been so many different things that could have gone on in that one. But let's move. Let's just move on, Simon, and go to the final one on this week's segment. This one is a really good one. So on the 26th of April, uh, I think it was 1971, George Foreman fights five times in one night in exhibition bouts. You never see that one anymore, do you? <laughs> you, you won't see that again for a long time. <laughs> that is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, I've, I have actually read this story about it in the past and I think I've heard it on uh, another podcast from America and, and it, was, it was was it some sort of charity thing that he did and he actually fought five times in, in the same night but this was back when George Foreman was George Foreman in his prime I think this was before he fought Muhammad Ali uh, in the Rumble in the Jungle I think this was um, you know when he was really sort of coming coming of age within the heavyweight division and he, you know he, he was that fit and strong that he could do that he fought five times in one night it was just amazing when I read back and I looked at that and I thought bloody hell yeah George Foreman a legend of the game and he fights five times in one night in 1971 God, for people for the older people that listen to this podcast and people that were probably around back in 1971 they probably remember this and it was probably quite a big deal back then but for, for, for me to be seeing that it was like wow you can actually go on YouTube and see this if you go go on YouTube that clip you can actually watch it and it's it's just it's just an interesting piece of history to look at yeah it'd be incredible wouldn't it next year at Comet Relief if, if Joshua does that 
Yeah, imagine that, Joshua. <laughs> line up, line up, celebrity. Line up, Wayne Bridge and Spencer from Made in Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll be funny that to see that one on Comic Relief next year. That'll be, uh, I'm sure that'd get the ratings and the donations in for sure. <laughs> well, that's it for boxing history and this week in boxing history on today's episode. Uh, moving on, then let's go over to this weekend's action, and there's a there's quite a lot of it. Actually, for some reason, I felt like there wasn't anything this weekend. I knew there was stuff, but when I started going through it, I thought, actually, there's quite a lot of fights this weekend as well. And we're really sort of getting into the nitty-gritty of boxing season now. So it really all starts and kicks off on Friday night at the Manchester Arena when we've got the ambassadors, Ricky Hatton, Paulie Malignaggi, Anthony Crawler, uh, and, and obviously the promoter, Carl Greaves, and the creator, Ben Shalom, with the Ultimate Boxer Tournament, which is the same sort of format as Prize Fighter for people that don't know what Ultimate Boxer is. Uh, it's, it's eight fighters, eight undefeated welterweights, putting the records on the line, going in uh, against opponents that are now being confirmed uh, in terms of who is fighting who, which I'll, I will confirm in a minute. They're going in for the chance to be crowned the ultimate boxer and also I think it's winning a share of £50,000 I think it's something like 20 to 30 grand the winner gets so it's a life changing amount of money for this but uh, how much have you seen of the ultimate box I'm sure you've seen it floating around social media yeah well I think strangely the last time I was on this show, I think it was the week it got announced, the first, like the, the first week it was announced. So maybe I, maybe I only, maybe Cal just doesn't like it at all and never turns up the week when uh, Ultimate Box is going to be uh, going to be mentioned. But yeah, I, I was a big fan when the uh, uh, they used to have, God, the words escaped me. What was it called? Prize Fighter. Prize Fighter. I used to be a big fan of Prize Fighter. So you know, I'm glad that they've sort of basically resurrected that format. I think it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, they haven't got any big names in it, have they? In Price Fight, they used to throw in like a rogue, you know, Aldi Harrison or someone with a junior witness turned up or something. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully it'll be good. And yeah, I'll look forward to it. It's been, I think he's on, uh, it's not on Channel 5, but it's on like Spike or whatever, one of the other Channel 5 channels and Lad Bible, I think. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, so I think they're just trying to reach different audience, aren't they? They're going to sort of stream it. Seems to be quite aware of marketing and stuff like that. And, you know, with people like Hatton and Malinaji behind it, they're going to get in real boxing fans who are sort of swept up by the, those great names. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, good luck to whoever wins. Whoever wins, it will give them a bit of a profile, a bit of a name, and, you know, it can help boost their career. Well, there is uh, obviously the fights that have been uh, announced, and the, the draw was last week, and the the four fights, the quarterfinals. So we've got Manchester's Andy Kremner representing, uh, who's currently nine and zero, going in against a very tough opponent in Isaac McLeod, uh, who, who's also uh, the at the same level. They both they're both undefeated fighters. They're both at the same stage of the career, so it's a, it's a, going to be a cracking fight. And I think I've said it on record before that I think the winner of this particular section of the draw for me personally goes on to win it but then we also have uh, undefeated 4-0 fighter Casey Benjamin against former Ricky Hatton trained fighter in Sam Evans uh, Drew Brown uh, versus Jimmy Cooper and Tom Young versus Ben L and uh, so it's, it's, it's again it's a lot of names that you know to, to the wider audience they probably won't know who a lot of them are people that listen to the podcast we had Andy Kremner on a couple of weeks ago for an interview and I did try to get Isaac on Isaac McLeod on this week but I never managed to get back hold of him uh, he did say he was interested in coming on but I was wasn't able to get hold of him, so unfortunately we couldn't get Isaac on. But hopefully, we, you know, we never know. We might get him on in the future. But yeah, there's there's quarterfinals. You know, it's the three round format. So 
we're gonna it's gonna you know we're gonna see some good fights I think I think this is gonna be one of them where you're gonna see some explosive fights you're gonna see stars are born in these types of tournaments as we've seen with the likes of Sam Eggington you know Sam Sexton was a winner of the one in the past you know even all the Harrison although his career didn't do anything else much after that it still managed to propel him into a potential you know fight in the future which we've seen with David Hay so it kind of does have the regions to be able to propel fighters into something big so the winner of this really yeah just... and it's one of them you know if you lose I, I think there's no shame in losing if you lose no. you go, oh, it's a three round fight it's a bit of a toss up you know it won't it won't go ahead i know one would hold it against you whereas if you win it can really kick forward so i think it's a sort of it's a good option for for young fighters particularly people trying to make a name for themselves. So who do you fancy to win then? I think if I'm going to go, uh, I, I, I personally I want Andy Kremner to win because he is Manchester lad. So I go I go with my own, as you know. But it's going to be out of him and Isaac McLeod personally. And it's no disrespect to any of the other competitors that are in it. I just feel that them two are the guys that look phenomenal at the moment. They really do look phenomenal, a lot of them. And I think the other fighters that are in it are quite earlier on in their career. So they've only had, say, three or four pro fights. So they really are really novice pros. So you don't expect, you know, you don't expect too much out of it. There's no pressure on them, really, at this stage of the career. Like you said, if they lose in a three-round fight, you, you can kind of... It doesn't really make a difference. I mean, look, again, I refer to Sam Eggington. He lost uh, in, in the prize fight a semi-final, but look where his career's gone on to. A Brit, you know, Brit, uh, Commonwealth, British, European title fights. So it just goes to show you that this really could be a new platform for these types of fighters to really propel themselves onto. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And, you know, people like... People, you know, someone like Gary Buckland, he, he made his name... For- winning prize fight didn't he? i remember i think he beat gary sykes you know suddenly yeah. you know it really put him forward so you know good luck to f1 involved hopefully the lad from manchester will win yeah hopefully so uh, we've also got a couple of other fighters on the card local guys in sam hyde ben sheedy and ryan oliver they're all in undercard fights to sort of make that show a complete show you've also got a performance from big nasty as well big nasty you know if you're all if you're all into your sort of um yeah you sort of r&b hip-hop type music big nasty's playing at the, the manchester arena he's the entertainment there uh but i want to move on then you've simon got a, a, a spare five minutes watch uh big, big nasty does, does these videos i think for bbc3 where like he just he sits in a barber's shop and do you ever watch him i've you know what i've not but go on tell me more Oh, if you've got a free five minutes, then just YouTube it. There's one way he talks about chicken and whether or not you should uh, wash chicken before you cook it. And it is it is very funny. <laughs> He's a funny man. I, you know what, I have seen him. I have seen him. I've seen him on uh, Alan Carr's New Year special. And I thought he was quite funny on that, to be fair. So, uh, Simon, let's move on. Let's get to the other fights that are going on this weekend. Uh, Germany's got some good fights on this weekend. Uh, funnily enough, Arthur Abraham, I don't know why he's still fighting, but he is. And he's going in against Patrick Nielsen, who lost on the World Boxing Super Series show a couple of months back in a surprise upset defeat to John Ryder. So Arthur Abraham and Patrick Nielsen are going to be doing battle in Germany this weekend. Uh, and guess who else is on that card, Simon? Well, it's the, uh, the the lad that Callum Smith beat, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, the, the the Nicky Holskin is back out on the same card. Yeah, so, so I mean, he, he, you know, he took his opportunity, didn't he? Even though he lost, now uh, be good to see him again with a, a little bit more notice. I hope we got this time. Yeah, I'm sure he will have done. I mean, it's one, it's one of them situations where, unless you really follow German boxing, you kind of aren't really going to know who they are. And he's he kind of made a little bit of a profile with the Callum Smith fight. Um, so he's on the undercard of the Arthur Abraham Patrick Nielsen fight. So it'll be interesting from a perspective to see how Arthur Abraham and Patrick Nielsen do. And 
I, I, I'm hoping Arthur Abraham retires. To be honest with you, I think he's um, I think he's done now. He's think he's so worth. Is he, is he eighty-seven years old now, Arthur Abraham? <laughs> he's 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 knocking on a little bit, just a little bit. He's way past his prime anyway. He's been around forever, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He has been around forever. I think um, I think it's time to retire. To be honest with you, for Arthur I did Abraham. See, um, I did see one of the Salem brothers the other day tweet a picture of their uh, with. Uh, the guy, oh, I've forgotten his name. The the guy who was he was in a really bad coma. Oh, uh, Scotland. Uh, fought in the first round of the World Super Series. Yeah, Eric Scotland. Yeah, and then, yeah, and uh, they just seemed well. He, he just seemed to be on the mend, and it was uh, very good to see. Yeah, no, it was. It was really good to see. Um, so another one that is is going to be interesting to sort of talk about this weekend. I, I've not heard this name in boxing for a while. Is uh, Prince Patel. Do you remember Prince Patel and his uh, spat with Barry Jones on Box Nation? No. Oh, if you've got a time to have a look at that one. If you've got a time to look at that one, Simon, uh, I would definitely, definitely go and have a look at that one. He basically ins- insults, uh, <laughs> live on Box Nation, he insults former world champion Barry Jones live on the show. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I can't remember exactly what he said. I think it was something to do along the lines of like him, about him being a world champion or something of that nature or he wasn't a very good one or something like that. I can't, I can't remember exactly, but people who listen to the podcast who probably go, yeah, yeah, I remember that, I remember that. But it was... Um, He's, he's, he's actually fighting a lot over in Hungary at the moment. He seems to be... What a lot of people are saying is padding padding his record, fighting you know, part-time cleaners and part-time teachers over in Hungary at the moment. Well, there was someone else recently, wasn't there? Fight, he fought... He ended up with quite a big fight in America, but he'd, he had one of these records where he'd had a load of fights in Hungary, didn't he? I can't remember who it was. Oh, no, yeah. It was in the last few weeks, though. I can't, you know, I can't remember the life of me. I, I honestly can't remember. So um, let's let's just sort of get on. Prince Patel back out this weekend, twelve and zero record. He's not really fought anybody of note in his career, I would say. And I think it's kind of a situation where he's going to get slated up until he fights somebody good. And if he does come in against somebody good, there's a potential he's going to lose you know, if he's not been tested at the highest of levels just yet. But I don't want to dwell too much on that. And I want to talk about Bradley Skeet, who's fighting for the vacant European title this weekend in Spain against an unbeaten Kerman Lajarica, uh, whose most notable win on his record is Denton Vassell back in 2016 so Bradley Skeet is fighting this weekend over in Spain it's been talked about last week's podcast about the fact that he's going over there and we're not we're not sure why this has not been brought over to the UK and why Warren has not brought this over Bradley Skeet is on the cusp of potentially challenging for a world title here and yet we don't even know if we're going to be able to even see the fight I don't know if it's actually being streamed on Box Nation or not. No, isn't that that hotbed of boxing Spain? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. He's one of the sort of he's one of he's one of Box Nation sort of big names, Bradley Ski. He's, he often appears on their undercard. You'd think they you know they they put on put on enough cards, <laughs> they'd be able to find a place for him somewhere instead of off in off in Spain fighting for it. But you know, good luck to him. Gets the win. Then uh, I, I think it's always. I don't really know anything about the opponent. Denton Vassell was a, a good fighter who just never seemed to get enough fights, did he? Yeah. You know, good luck to him. It's always tough to go abroad, so you know, props to him for taking the fight, I guess. And hopefully, it'll be uh, sangria and belts. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, I've just had a look on Box Nation's website as we're speaking, and um, no, they're not showing it. They're not even showing the fight, so they've not even made some sort of TV deal to actually pick the fight up, which really surprises me. Now, it's Monday night, so obviously recording this on a Monday, so there is chance that by the time Friday, Saturday comes, this will have changed and they will pick it up, but... 
I really think they should, to be honest with you, because this is a guy that's been loyal to Frank Warren and to Box Nation, and to be not putting his European title challenge on their, you know, their channel dedicated to boxing, I think is a little bit ridiculous, if I'm being honest, especially since he's going to be potentially fighting uh, for the WBO World Welterweight title in the future. You know, it's, it's, it's not really a good way to promote your fighter, if I'm being totally honest. But, hey-ho, I'm not the promoter. I'm just a guy who knows something about boxing, or maybe knows nothing. Remains to be seen, of course. I think you know plenty, mate. <laughs> I, I think I know some stuff. You know the what? The definitive voice of boxing, that's what I say. As long as I'm, I've got a bit of a better voice than some of the other guys out there, to be honest. I've heard some guys out there, uh, <laughs> I'm mentioning no names, who do either podcasts or they do commentary. And I think to myself, I can't stand listening to this person. But then again, I probably a lot of people think that when they listen to this podcast. No, I'm joking. I think we do a good job on here, to be fair. And we get people like Carl and yourself on the show. It's a, it's a good one. But Simon... Let's go over again. We're moving back across the sea and going over to America to talk about the fights over in America and Matchroom's American show this weekend. That's going to be an exciting one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing's interesting. It's like, you know, you think Ernie Hearn seems pretty busy as it is. I'm not sure what he's really hoping to achieve by trying to uh, trying to crack America. But they've got uh, Daniel Jacobs is out, isn't he? Very impressed. I thought he quitted himself very well against, Glo- um, against Golovkin. Would have been, was it last year? I always lose track of things. Last but- year. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how he goes and uh, you know potential win for him. Well. Daniel Jacobs, like you say, he had a really good fight with Golovkin, and he was the first man to take Golovkin the distance for a very, very long time. Some some might say he might have won that fight, to be honest, and it, I think that's where a lot of people started to feel Golovkin was kind of on the slide a bit, and I think that's where the, Kel Brook thought he had the opportunity, because he felt like, oh, maybe he could beat him with speed. But Daniel Jacobs, you know, a man that's got through a cancer scare and come out the other side of it, uh, and he's fighting the Polish fighter in Suleka, who's recently been sparring with another local fighter in Mark Heffron, another middleweight. Uh, if you don't know who Suleki is, he, he most notable fighters on his record. He's beat Jack Kolkai. He's beat Hugo Centino Jr., who we talked about a little bit earlier on in the show, uh, who lost to Jamel Charlo at the weekend. And he also, he, for once Polish potential middleweight contender in Gregor Proska. So, uh, Proxa, sorry. So, he has got a few names on his record that you, you know, for the wider boxing audience will probably know who these guys are. So, he's not just a guy who's got a padded record. He has fought a few good fighters and he's undefeated. We don't know what to expect because we don't really know, you know, how much this guy's got, but we know what Daniel Jacobs has got. So, a lot of people are kind of leaning towards the Daniel Jacobs winning. It is probably... A showcase, really. You know, Eddie Hearn signed him onto Matchroom to be appear on this Matchroom USA show. He's expecting this potential win uh, and a fight in the future. You know, maybe with Golovkin or maybe with Billy Joe Saunders. But it's an interesting fight. It's going to be good to see how Daniel Jacobs gets on this weekend and and sort of see if he can continue on with his his record uh, as good as he is at the moment. Looking down the card, Simon, uh, another interesting fight on that card to look out for is potential. Future opponent, frankly, Joshua, Jarrell Miller. Well, yeah, and I think the thing with Joshua is I think they're very keen for him to start fighting Americans, aren't they? You know, to try and sort of build his profile in America, and that will ultimately they're looking to try and make the the wilder fight as big and as lucrative as possible. So I think Miller's got a real if he can come through this weekend, he's got a real chance of getting a, a shot at the world title and a shot at Anthony Joshua. 
Yeah, I, I mean, he's going in there with no slouch, to be fair to him. I mean, he's going in uh, against, uh, again, I'm really rubbish with names, and I always say this on every episode when I can't get a name right, uh, but he's going in against uh, Johan Dupiaz, who's also been in with Deontay Wilder and Alexander Povetkin. So he's been in there, and he has lost to these two opponents, but it kind of, you know, if Jarrell Miller can knock him out the same way Povetkin and Wilder have done, then he kind of, he's making a statement, basically. If he goes in there and knocks Dupiaz, out, then he's kind of saying, well, I, I've knocked him out as well, so I should be in line for a potential shot against someone like Anthony Joshua in the, in the future. So he, he, he's a guy who's also making waves, but he, he never looks like he's in fantastic physical shape, but yet he's knocking everyone out for fun. Well, yeah, but I mean, I suppose we'll see as he starts going up the levels, won't we? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've only ever seen, I've never seen him fight, but I've just seen pictures of him. And you know, he, he, I mean, he's a big lad, isn't he? He is a big lad. He is. But then I suppose it's one of them like with boxing and heavyweights and it only takes that one punch to do the damage. And I mean, I'm not making any comparisons here, but if you look look back in sort of combat sports and MMA, do you ever remember Butterbean and, and, and how fat he was and how he just used to knock people yes. out? <laughs> well, there's a legend. Exactly. But yeah, look how fat he was. And as soon as he hit people... One of the, one of the real stars of it. Real star of early YouTube, I think, Butterbean. <laughs> yeah, highlight real knockouts, Butterbean, he's the guy. He's exactly the guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, going back to what I'm talking about, Jarrell Miller, he's a guy that he doesn't look in the greatest shape in the world, but he obviously is in good athletic shape. I'd like to see how he does on Saturday, because if he puts on a good performance, we're all going to be talking about who he's going to fight next, and he is a guy who's, who wants to fight Andy Joshua, who's willing to fight him. And, and when we get into the final section of the show and we talk about the news and the gossip and you know it is something to consider for Anthony Joshua if you want to make a name in America you want to fight someone who's known in America who's undefeated there's an opportunity for Joshua should Jarrell Miller come for his fight on Saturday night but a really really interesting card in Matchroom in the USA and I'm really looking forward to seeing the return of Ta- Katie Taylor who we talked about earlier on in the show linking her in with obviously Natasha Jonas's win she's looking to become the IBF champion along with her current WBA title against Victoria Bustos so it's again it's another good time over in America, it's Katie Taylor. She's going to have a lot of Irish American fans over there chanting her name. They're going to be, you know, loving it over in the uh, the Irish pubs over in America on Saturday night. They're really going to be rooting for her, aren't they? It's going to be a good one for her on Saturday. Yeah, well, I meant I meant to mention it when we were talking about Frampton earlier. I think that there's always scope for these Irish fighters, isn't there, to go over to America? There's such a, a massive uh, Irish American uh, population over there. They're always big names. She'll get big support. And, you know, it just helps move her to another level and make her an even more recognised name. And she really is at sort of the, the forefront of the boxing at the moment. She's a, you know, she has two belts for the world title. You know, it's a, it, it could be a big weekend for her and a, a sort of coming out party in America for her. She's definitely going to get a lot of plaudits if she picks up the victory. I mean, she's only six fights into her career. <clears throat> she's got one world title and she's going for a second world title. Again, it shows depths in the division are quite low. But it also shows that she's capable. But I mean, it also shows. It also shows she had that. She had that incredible. I mean, you know, she has. She's had six pro fights, but she had an incredible amateur career, didn't she? I mean, she yeah. went to multiple uh, Olympics. She was a, a dominant fighter in amateur boxing for a decade, really. Before, so it's not like she's just. It's not you know she's hardly in a Conor Ben situation where you think he's had six fights and he could really do with another twenty because he had no amateur pedigree beforehand. 
she came in as a big name, you know, and they, they've rightly moved her through quite quickly. And, you know, it's a, another a chance to pick up another belt at the weekend. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And obviously, I'm looking forward to all the, the listeners over from Ireland who will be looking forward to it because I know, you know, they, they get a few national treasures over there. And when they get someone like this coming through, Katie Taylor, you know, she sort of transcends the sport of boxing over in Ireland. And it's really good for what she's doing at the moment. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where this takes her, you know, if she picks up this victory on Saturday. I mean, looking at her opponent and looking at her opponent's record, I honestly can't say I know anybody on the record so it's difficult for me to sit here and say she's going to be any task for Katie Taylor but if we know Katie Taylor the way we know her we're expecting her to come out the IBF champion and the WBA champion on Saturday night yeah I agree she's a winner proven winner yeah absolutely well only one more fight that I've made note of for this weekend coming up, which is uh, Jesse Magdaleno, who's currently 25-0. and 0. Uh, His biggest win was, funnily enough, over Noni Totonere, going in against a, a relatively unknown Isaac Dogbow. <laughs> Dogbow. When, when I first seen that guy's name, I thought of Dogbow in Manchester. I thought of the Dogbow bar. <laughs> but uh, he's 18-0. He's and then again, when you look through the record of this particular gentleman... He's not for anybody that you know of. And most of his fights have been in his home country of Ghana. So this is a massive opportunity for him. But he's going in against a guy who's proven at world level. He's been in against one of the best fighters uh, in the bantamweight division in Nanito Denaire. And he's picked up the victory over him. I, I'm expecting a win. Other, well, I'm expecting nothing other than a Magdaleno win on Saturday night. But you never know, you know, these guys that come over from, you know, the African countries, you know, as Alani Tete is a prime example of that, you come come over and, you know, they can absolutely upset the apple cart. And, and I think um, Julius Indongo did it to Ricky Burns a, a year or so ago, kind of came over as an unknown and, and upset the apple cart. So there's always a potential for that to happen, but I can't see past a Magdaleno win come Saturday night. And I'm expecting him to move on to, to, to bigger and better things and he's a fighter we should keep an eye on really because you know he's a he's a potential opponent for some of the British contingent in the future yeah I'll uh, I'll have to take your word for it be uh, be interesting to see him at the weekend and, and that sort of wraps it up for the the weekend's action they're the most notable fights I wanted to bring up in today's episode over the weekend and go to the final segment of today's show which is the boxing news and gossip section so I don't know what you've got for this week Simon but I've got only a couple of things really that I wanted to bring up in today's episode. The first one was Canelo getting a, only a six-month ban. What do you make of that? Uh, well, it's outrageous, isn't it? And you know, I think boxing's got a massive issue with drugs at the moment. And you know, this yet again goes to show. I, I, if I'm honest, I thought I always thought that the Golovkin uh, Alvarez fight was going to happen. So I was actually quite impressed when they did ban him. At least it did give him some sort of ban. But, you know, I mean, it's not long enough, is it? And it just undermines the sport completely. And, yeah, it's just disappointing to see. And what boxing desperately needs is some joined-up thinking. It needs the all, all the uh, boards to get together and, and agree on a, a, some sort of situation of what they're going to do. But, yeah, I mean, it's outrageous. And, it, yeah, it's, it's bad. But he'll be back. He'll be back in time for uh, where uh, for uh, September. I imagine he'll have another big fight. But they and he'll be making millions of pounds all over again. He just seems a bit. What are your unf- thoughts? It just seems a bit unfair to be honest with you, Simon. It seems like there's no consistency whatsoever when it comes to to, to to cheats and drugs cheats. And last week we had Callum Johnson on the show, and he was asked about that, and he was asked what his take is on it, and it's like you know the situations in, with with drugs where. You know, fighters are going out and buying sort of pre-workout products 
and, and, and not really fully 100% checking him. And, and you can kind of sometimes sympathise with him in that respect. That if they took a pre-workout drink or something of that nature, which has got a trace of something in it, and then they tested, and then they're positive for it. However, they've been clean all the way through the career, and it's never been any effect. And you can kind of sympathise just a tiny bit with them. But when you've got guys that are, 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 it kind of feels like now, they're blatantly just doing it and getting away with it as well. It just seems like a six-month ban is, is nothing. It's like a slap on the wrist, that, to be honest with you, because he's going to have six months out of the game. He's going to come back. He's going to come back in September. He's possibly going to fight Golovkin, because that's the fight that was supposed to be happening on May the 5th, and that has been a saga on its own. And, and September, you know, plenty of time for Canelo to get back in the ring, plenty of time for him to be training ready for it, and I think we're going to see it in September, to be honest. I think we will see Golovkin-Canelo in September. It really wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, in terms of bans, I think there's no consistency about the way they do it and about the way they do things in terms of you know punishing drugs cheats in boxing, and that is something that really needs to be sorted and sorted quite fast because... It's getting to the point where everyone's kind of, you kind of feel like everyone's just saying, you know what, if he's doing it and getting away with it, I'm going to do it and get away with it. And and it starts to, it brings it into disrespect, the sport into disrepute a lot because you get genuine people, genuine fighters, you know, thousands and thousands of fighters across the world that train day in, day out to be the best shape that they can possibly be. And then they get people like this who can just think, oh, well, I'll take a bit, a bit of this, a bit of Mexican beef, you know, and then um, <laughs> I'll get I'll get myself, uh, you know, pumped up for this fight and I'll just get a six-month ban and that's all I'll get out of it. But yeah, on the other side of the con, I'm going to make millions of pounds. So it doesn't really matter to people like that. It's just pretty frustrating, to be honest. Yeah, but- and, and the thing is, the whole thing's risk-reward, isn't it? At the moment, the risk isn't... The risk is worth uh, worth taking for the reward. And you have, you have to have deterrence, otherwise people are going to carry on taking drugs and it is an embarrassment for the sport I thought it was quite telling uh, before the Povetkin fight when David Price was saying you know he knows that UK anti-doping will be knocking on his door to check his he, he wasn't confident that the Russian anti-doping would be knocking on Povetkin's door and it, it is embarrassing for the sport yeah no it totally is uh, a couple of other things that kind of come out this week uh, I've heard that the talks have been underway for a potential Povetkin and Joshua fight to happen now I know the WBA have said that they've got to go to Perspitz for that, and if they don't, or if they don't agree some sort of deal, then there's a potential that he might lose his title in the future, which is stupid, if, unless he agrees a fight with Wilder. But I've also heard this week that he's been, you know, there've been talks between the two camps with a Wilder fight as well. So it's there's so much kind of like to, to sort of say, well, this could happen and that could happen, but there's never really anything concrete going around at the moment. It's kind of you. You think one thing's going to happen, then the opposite thing happens. But a Povetkin and Joshua fight, if realistically, if that's to come off, and that is to be his next fight, after looking at the way David Price fought against Joshua, uh, Joshua, sorry, um, Povetkin, I, I think it's a pretty easy fight for Joshua, to be honest. What do you think about a Joshua-Povetkin fight? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it is going to happen. I think, you know, he's mandatory. I just don't think Povetkin will take any sort of step-aside money. I think he wants to fight. And he, he has money behind him, doesn't he? Remember a few years ago, he's one of, the, one of the few times they managed to get Klitschko to fight outside of Germany. You know, they, they had enough money to put on the table to get him over to Russia, didn't they? Yeah. For their fight. So, you know, the, he does have big backers. So I, I think the fight will happen and, Maybe even in uh, maybe even in Russia, but I, I'd expect Joshua to come through. I think it'd be a tough test. I'm not sure how. I, I'm not sure we saw the best Povetkin against uh, David Price to be honest with you. 
I think he'll come back and he'll he'll be in better shape than he was. Uh and, and he'll fight a bit more carefully as well. I think he, he was he was just so confident in there in that prize fight that he maybe ended up taking a, a few too many blows and, and taking for granted that he was going to get the victory. It'll be a tough opponent for Joshua. It'll probably be tougher than some of his recent uh, opponents, but I, I think uh, I think Joshua will come through. But yeah, I think potentially a, a tougher opponent than uh, than Parker was. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think you could be right in, in in saying that. But another side of me kind of feels like maybe he's just he's just made for him, and and Povetkin, you know, will just. I'll just potentially just get squared out by by Joshua. It depends on what type of fight he comes to fight. If it happens, to be honest, it just really it really depends on and, and if it happens, how Povetkin turns up, uh, and, and and obviously how Joshua turns up as well. Because we've seen in the Parker fight a few weeks back, he he, he just used all these advantages. He boxed his way to a, an easy victory for himself. Yeah, the referee didn't help that situation, but it was an easy night really when you think about it. So, and I think the other the other test would be is if. Povetkin can get, you know, can put the money on the table and make Joshua go out to Russia. Then that adds an, another element to it, doesn't it? I mean, that adds a, a, a new challenge for Joshua that he's not faced yet of fighting abroad. Of when you know when's he going to go out there? He can't just train in Sheffield, drive down a couple of days before, and can he? He'd have to adapt, go to somewhere like Russia, which isn't the most welcoming of places. So I think that there would be all that, which would be a, a new test, and it'd be interesting to see how Joshua could cope with that. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people would ideally like to see going forward. But again, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But uh, Simon, any, uh, anything you've got for this week? Is there any anything that's been pressing? Any boxing news that you've seen? Any interesting stuff? Uh, no, I've just I've, we've covered pretty much all of it. The, the, the Povetkin uh, Joshua thing was the uh, the thing that's intrigued me most. And that's what I, I am pretty certain is going to happen. And I'm starting to worry that it's not that uh, Wilder Joshua might. Well, it won't never happen, but I'm, I'm starting to think we won't end up with a unified champion. I think we'll, they'll end up getting caught up now in mandatories. This was the moment, I think, for him to get his sword and fight you know, later this year. But I think that one of them, I think Joshua will end up having so many mandatories that he ends up having to just vacate a title so he can take the wilder fight. And that this may be a once-in-a-generation chance of getting a unified heavyweight champion. And I think that cha- that opportunity is increasingly... Uh, increasingly disappearing which is a is a bit of a shame because i think it would have been a great moment to you know it's not very often we have a unified heavyweight champion i think was lennox lewis the last one so you know it would have been great to to have that again but uh i, I don't think it's going to happen no awards again i always say this we just kind of have to wait and see because you kind of expect one thing to happen another thing happens and it never always works out the way you want it to but Again, that's just the sport of boxing. Sometimes you get some fantastic moments and sometimes you get some frustrating ones and, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast, I suppose, when it comes to that. A couple of other little mentions to talk about then. Uh, things that I've been I've noticed all across social media. Things like Michael Conlon returning. He's coming to Belfast on the 30th of June for his next fight. Then I've also noticed across social media uh, about the confirmation of Matchroom showing Newcastle, which is for June the 16th. There's going to be a press conference next week for that. So we're expecting to see Lewis Ritson on that show and uh, Josh Kelly on that show, amongst a couple of other Matchroom fighters. So there is a couple of other things going on uh, on, on social media for, for sort of news and gossip. And another one that's just popped up that has actually popped up as I've been speaking is I didn't realise that Curtis Wood house former Sheffield United player uh, turned oh, is it Sheffield United or Sheffield Wednesday turned pro boxer uh, Sheffield United yeah 
uh, pro boxer who, who actually won a British title. Uh, he's, he's come back. He's, he's decided to get his gloves back and get back in the ring this weekend. Wow. Who's he fighting? He's actually fighting um, John Wayne Hibbert. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, ex- exactly. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a good one. Oh, actually, no. You know what, Simon? I'm lying to you. He's not fighting John Wayne Hibbert this weekend. It's, um, he's actually fighting John Wayne Hibbert on the 16th of June, but he is fighting this weekend in what looks like a tune-up warm-up fight, uh, probably for that fight on the 16th of June. So it's, it's interesting that he's coming back. I think he's there. Uh, he's about 37 now, 37, 38, and I know he was quite out of shape, and I do follow him on social media, and I notice that he has got himself back into shape after going on a seemingly like a bit of a binge over the past 12 to 18 months since he's been out of the ring and he's just decided he wants to come back and, and, and give it another shot maybe that or the fact that he's probably skint because <laughs> there, there always is that as well nearly always the reason yeah, yeah. it is that I mean I'm not being funny but how many times did uh, James Tony fight fight for and again Roy Jones Jr as well why did he fight on for so long well, I mean, yeah, that was one of the, the saddest things in uh, in recent boxing, wasn't it? Yeah. But, uh, how long is it until uh, Huey Fury versus Sam Sexton? That must be around the corner. Uh, May the 12th. Be uh, in, an interesting one. When they announced it, the, the, the announcement saying it was going to be at the uh, whatever Bolton Stadium. I still call it the Reebok Stadium, but it's not called that anymore, is it? No, the Macron. The, the Bolton Stadium, wasn't it? I thought, wow, God, that's mega. But I think it's just in like a conference room, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, they've got like a little um, like a little hotel attached to it, and I have been to a local show there before, and it's a good venue actually. To be fair, it's a smaller venue, but I think I think it'll it'll be a good it'll be a good venue for this type of a fight. To be honest, I mean, you got to be realistic about the situation. I mean, if you put them to say in the Copper Box in London, is it really going to sell out? Probably not. So you want to put them in maybe a smaller venue, and obviously with it being Bolton, he's more towards sort of Huey Fury's hometown. So he's managed to get Sam Sexton, who's the champion, up to Bolton for the fight, and 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 I'm sure Sam Sexton will be getting paid good for this, and that's why he's probably took it. So it's in a decent venue. There's some good fighters on the undercard coming up as well, so that's a pretty good one. But obviously we're going to have Hay and Bellew coming up first. That's going to be the one that's going to be getting talked about and um, I don't know if you've managed to see the gloves are off yet between them two no I've not seen it yet is it good it's it's a good one, yeah. It's not as like vicious and nasty as has been to each other in the past, but it's it's a very mind gameish type of episode to watch. You know, you kind of feel like Bellew's typical Bellew, and Hay seems to be a little bit more humble this time round, and oh, he's still cocky, but he's nowhere near as cocky as he was the first time round. And I don't know what to expect out of this fight, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll be talking with it with Cahill probably next week's episode, but well, I've got you on, Simon. Who, who do you think is going to win that one? Uh, well, I mean, I think I've sort of got similar thoughts to the ones I had before the first time they fought, in as much as Hay at his best would win. Uh, the trouble is we've not seen Hay at his best for about five years now, haven't we? So uh, that, that, is the, uh, that is the dilemma. Can Hay's body hold up? If it can, the reality is that people smaller than David Hay have knocked Bellew out in the past. And I think Hay is a quality operator if he can keep his body together He's clearly focused on the fight. He's clearly looking for one last payday and then, you know, maybe have one last year of trying to win this. I imagine if he wins, he'll probably call out Joshua straight away. And he, he wants to try and mix it with the big boys one last time. I, I think uh, David Hay win by knockout. It would be, would be my prediction. But, I mean, I still, a, a bit of me, if I'm honest, still thinks he'll pull up injured and it won't happen. 
<laughs> well, there is always that risk, isn't there, with David A, as of recent times, that that's potentially going to happen. Uh, if I'm going to go for the prediction, Simon, I think I picked Bellew to win in the last fight, not in the circumstances that that happened, but I just felt like Bellew was always going to have that edge over David Hay. He's more active as a fighter, and David Hay just doesn't... Whilst he sort of talks like he wants to be there, you kind of get this sort of sense and feeling that he doesn't really, and he is kind of just doing it for the money now, and it's kind of just to secure his his future and his family's future now, and making sure they've got enough money, you know, to, to live the life they want to live, the lavish lifestyle. Um, but it depends on how he turns up. I mean, he always looks in good shape, but then... He's, he's good what's looking that he looks like on the outside but then it's just his body seems to fall apart come sort of near fight time or on fight night so again if a fully fit Hay turns up then it could be a different fight but I do think Tony Bellew will win again I think he's got more of a desire to beat him and I think if he beats him I think Tony Bellew wins I think I can't see him having any more fights I can't. I think, I think he, he, he could retire happy and, and safe in the knowledge he doesn't need to do anything more in boxing yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I can't see Bellew hanging around for uh, for much longer. And, he, you know, he just seems like he's got quite a content life, doesn't he, Bellew? And uh, there'll be plenty of... I think both of them have got plenty of media. They're both good talkers and they'll have uh, plenty of media work going forward. So I think their time at the top will uh, will come to an end pretty soon. I've just seen something funny, actually. I've got the Twitter feed up in front of me as we're recording. And I've just seen a, an interesting one come up there about uh, an article on The Express about Tony Bell, Tony Bell used UFC bombshell. The boxer re- revealed he's held meetings with UFC officials regarding a possible switch to MMA to fight former middleweight champion Michael Bispin. Simon Man guarantee, hundred percent won't happen. <laughs> just talk, isn't it? It's just talk. It's just to get him excited about something that's probably never going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, Bispin's. Uh, I don't really follow UFC that much, but Bispin's pretty. He he must have retired a few times. He's been uh, he's been around forever as well. But I just, I can't see, I can't see Bellew risking it. And it doesn't matter how good the money is. I think he's not going to be able to learn mixed martial arts. And if it is in an octagon in mixed martial arts, then he's going to lose, isn't he? And uh, I, I just don't, don't see him risking it. No, I, I think the thing is, if, if theoretically, if that was to ever happen, the thing with Bispin is he's not a submission artist. He's not a submission expert. He is just a striker, a pure striker, kickboxer and a boxer. So, you know, it only takes one punch, I suppose, to, to, to take somebody down. And Bellew's got a big punch. You just, you just, you can never say never with something like this. I mean, whoever thought we'd see Floyd Mayweather in the ring uh, with Conor McGregor? I mean, you know, you say you say a Simon Mann guarantee that it's going to happen. But you, if you would have said this, you know, 18 months ago, you would, would you have said the same thing about Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather? Oh, I, I should have said this at the start of the show. Show Simon Mann guarantees absolutely worthless, mate. Not worth money to written on. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. Anybody, <laughs> a, anybody that knows Simon, there you go. If he ever guarantees you anything, it is not worth. It's utter rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, well, Simon, I haven't got anything else to talk about this week. I think that's pretty much covers everything off uh, for this weekend. It's been a pleasure. Oh uh, yeah, it always I'm is. I'm honoured to, to have been on the uh, the Bum Rush and Butterbean program. <laughs> Bum <the> Rush episode. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to let this one down. I hope I hope that everybody that's listened to it. Uh, and listens to this episode enjoys it because it's it's fun it's you know we've had some good fun on this episode i've had a good laugh and uh, 
you know, you heard the Eminem clip earlier on. It was, uh, it was just, it was great little laughter to, for this episode this week. But you know, business as normal next week. Carl will be back as back as always off his holiday. You know, hopefully he'll be getting some interviews for us for the show, and I'll try and push for some for next week for everybody to listen to, and maybe we'll get some off the back of some of the recent shows that have just gone last weekend. Uh, but guys, you know where to follow us now. It's uh, at BTR Boxing Pod. If you see the episode going out. Please give it a retweet across social media because it massively helps the exposure for the podcast. If you're a Facebook user, you can find us Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Again, same thing applies there. Give it a share across social media. If you see it going, give us a listen. If you're enjoying what we're doing at the moment, please leave us some feedback. We have an email address. It's Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast at gmail.com. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, the Twitter poll went out. It's the greatest heavyweights episode, which we will be recording once Coppel returns from his trip over to the USA. And we've got some more exciting stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, and guys, again, as always, thank you very much. Simon, thank you very much for taking the time out of your hectic schedule to come Been on the pleasure, show. Mate. Uh, and guys, thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.